Oh, that's about the size of it, Dr. Watson. I just have to travel north to Cumberland, and I simply can't take young Harry, my grandson. I'll only be gone a few days, but I can't leave the boy alone in the house, and he don't know nobody in London. So you're wondering if Sherlock Holmes will allow him to come and stay here at 221B Baker Street, hmm? Well, I know it's an imposition, but, well, Harry's a bright boy. I know he'll behave himself and not get in the way. Of course, if it relied on you, it wouldn't be so bad. For you're a doctor, and used to handling children. But Mr. Holmes, well, there's no doubt that he can be difficult. I wondered, perhaps if you'd talk to him. Stand up the ground, as it were. Oh, right, Mrs. Hudson, I appreciate your problem. I'll do my best to persuade Mr. Holmes. Oh, thank you, sir. There won't be no trouble, I promise you that. Harry will be as good as gold. You'll see. We present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Young Visitor. Are you that to put up a lively young boy in our rooms for any length of time will cause untold trouble. But I didn't see why we shouldn't try to help for a short while. There was a small box room at the top of the house that had a trestle bed in it. It could be made quite comfortable. The only difficulty was Sherlock Holmes and his work. He was the last man in London to want a small boy under his feet while he was engaged upon a case. I broached the subject carefully the next morning. Much to my surprise, Holmes agreed to the arrangement quite amicably. Mrs. Hudson was delighted and on the Friday afternoon showed him the lad all dressed in his Sunday best and schooled in the proper behaviour. Come in now, Harry, and say hello to Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? Very pleased to meet you, Doctor. So, you're Harry and you're to be our young visitor for a few days. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for letting me stay here. Harry's a bright lad. He won't make any trouble. I mean, he isn't rowdy or anything like that. As long as there's plenty of books for him to look at, he'll be as quiet as a mouse. Well, there are plenty of those, although perhaps you aren't quite grown up enough for most of them. Well, young man, sit yourself down. It's a bit early for tea. Gran showed me where everything is, sir. I can get it for you any time. Uh, well, not yet. Well, come on, sit down and tell us something about yourself. Oh, um, th there isn't much. I'd sooner hear about you, Mr. Holmes. Do you really catch criminals, murderers, and people like that? And do they fight to the death at the very end? Well, not very often. A detection isn't all blood and thunder. It's a question of observation and thinking in the right manner. But I'm not working on any case at the moment, so you needn't bother about disturbing me. Oh, that's a pity. I think I'd like to be a detective when I grow up. Well, there's plenty of time for that. Now, what would you like to do this weekend? Play games? Visit the zoo? Uh, not really. You know what I'd really like? No? What? To go down Charing Cross Road and look at all the second-hand bookstores. 
Now, that will really be a treat. Well, if that's what you want, that's exactly what we shall do. We shall do so tomorrow morning. How's that? It's a promise. Wow! I think I'm really going to enjoy it here. I really do. Things had got off to a most pleasant start. It was clear that Holmes liked the boy, who was quick-witted and not over-familiar. True to his promise, Holmes ordered a handsome cab the next day, and the two of them started off for an exploration of the London bookshops. Charing Cross Road was the obvious start. Holmes knew every store intimately, and one in particular, Nesbitt and Son, was a great favourite. Well, now, Mr. Holmes, found anything to your liking? Uh, not at the moment, Nesbitt, but I'll browse around if you don't mind. Make yourself at home, sir. Make yourself at home. What is it, Harry? Look! It's an old book all filled with maps and drawings. Look! Sailing ships and pirates. All the voyages marked out. Called E. White Cosgrove. Travels of imagination and exploration. What's that? Gracious me. And then, what have you got an old Cosgrove out here on the store pavement for? What's it marked out as? Five shillings, it should be worth far more than that. Well, I don't know. It came in with a job lot from a Mr. Robert Johnson of the Manor Lake, uh, Radlett. It's in a poor state. Many pages missing and the cover is stained and walked in. It's a pity. It's rare enough, but I doubt if it could be restored. Me? May I buy it? I'd love to start a collection with this. I've got half the money. If you put the other half, I promise I'll pay you back. That's all right. Wrap it up, Nesbitt. The young man's found what he wants. Very good, Mr. Holmes. We must encourage a budding bibliophile, mustn't we? The rest of that day, young Harry stayed in the box room, poring over travels of imagination and exploration. We heard not a sound from him. It was on the Sunday morning, after a brisk walk in the park, that we returned to find a visitor had called. Ah, come in, Watson. Young Harry, this is Miss Amelia Johnson. She's called about the book you bought yesterday, Harry. I rather think she wants to buy it from you. What? I'm sorry. Perhaps you'll let me explain, young man. You see, my uncle is Mr. Robert Johnson, and this book came from his private collection. I think there must have been a slight mistake. The volume should never have been included in the parcel of books sent to Nesbitt in London. Since then, a few pages have been discovered, which, when added to the book, would make it quite valuable. We found out Mr. Holmes's name and address from Nesbitt, and he said he was sure you would agree to sell it back. I'll offer you far more than you paid for it. Now, what do you say? No. I'll give you a sovereign here and now for the book. Here? See, a bright new golden sovereign. Mr. Holmes, I... I don't have to sell a book, do I? I'll never get another one like it. And if that page is missing, well, well maybe I'll be able to buy them... For this lady later on. The book rightfully belongs to you, Harry. It's yours, and you've paid for it, quite honestly. Of course, Miss Johnson, the missing pages may deal with the island of Corsium and the legend of the dinosaur. Uh, there is a reference to that later on in the book, isn't that so? Exactly, Mr. Holmes. It's a shame that the tale should remain incomplete. We're anxious to see the volume whole again. I don't think my offer is unreasonable. Not at all. But it's entirely up to you, Harry. A sovereign back for five shillings outlay is a good investment. I don't want a good investment. I want my book and she shall have it so there. I'm sorry, but the answer is no. Oh, well, that's your answer, I'm afraid. The child is entitled to keep what is rightfully his. 
He's a junior. Surely he has parents I can appeal to, people who will listen to reason. I'm afraid not. None that you can approach at the moment. He's staying with me in the box room in the roof until his grandmother returns next week. But Harry is a strong-willed boy. I doubt if anyone will make him change his mind. Not even if I made the offer five guineas? I very much doubt it. I'm sorry, Miss Johnson. I'm afraid your visit from Ratliff has been a waste of time. Uh, please, may I show you out? Now, look here, Harry. We appear to have stirred up quite a hornet's nest with this purchase of yours. I'm sorry. I don't want to sell it. No, and I don't think you should. Remember, I told you that detection was observation and feared logical thinking? Well, this is a case in point. I believe that that book is far more valuable than anyone knows. Now, why did Miss Johnson go to such lengths to regain it? She knows nothing of its contents. I deliberately misled her by quoting the island of Corsium and the dinosaur, a total fabrication. Now, she's offering five guineas for a book Nesbitt thinks only worth five shillings. Now, she's not going to stop there. If she can't buy it, she will be arranging to steal it. Oh, you think so? No, indeed I do. I've let her know that you occupy the box room at the top of the house with a small window jutting out onto the roof. I shall be very much surprised if you don't have a visitor call upon you this very night. A real-life burglar! What do we do? Bolt the window? Call the police? Uh, there's no need to call the police when I'm here. And no need to bolt the window either. In fact, you will leave it open. Now, listen, Harry... Here is a real adventure for you. Now, this is what we shall do. You will go to bed as usual tonight, but after it's dark. After the initial tussle, the two men who had entered the box room from the roof gave up. They were clearly amateurs at the game and even appeared shamefaced after the lamps were lit and the window closed. Holmes viewed them with contempt mixed with pity. As he listened to their awkward explanations, I'd never touch the job if I'd known. So help me, I wouldn't. Me neither. And we was just told to climb in here and get back a book that this kid had nicked from a bookstore. We didn't nick it. It cost five bob. Quiet, Harry. Well, you made a right mess of breaking and entering. Did whoever engaged you tell you who I was and who this young lad is? Oh, no. We thought we'd find the place empty. We was told what books to look for. Travels of imagination, something like that. E. White Cosgrove. Travels of imagination and exploration. And I'll have you know that this is the house of Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, blimey. You Sherlock Holmes? Oh, now we're for it. Before we send for the police, perhaps you can tell me the name and address of whoever put you up to this attempted burglary. A fellow called Alan Mortimer. He lives at 28 Burmaside Mansions, Main Road, Radlett. Radlett. Ah, yes. Things are beginning to form a pattern. Now, look, you two, it's clear that you have been duped and made fools of. On the other hand, had you been successful, you would no doubt have handed over the book and collected payment. How much were you offered for this job? 
Ten quid apiece. Ah, that confirms our impression of the value of the book, doesn't it, Harry? Look, this is what I shall do. I will turn you over to the police, but I shan't prefer charges until tomorrow. If I can clear up this matter swiftly, then we will see if we can't let you off with just a warning. But if things go wrong, I shall call upon you to give evidence against the true offender. Is that clear? Oh, oh yes. yes. Thank you, sir. Thank All right, Watson. Well, let's get these men down to the police station. And I think we've had enough for one Sunday night. Tomorrow, we shall be paying a visit to Ratlett, to the home of Mr. Robert Johnson, where I hope we can successfully conclude this very interesting matter. And as for you, Harry, you get to bed with no more questions asked. Understand? could not resist the temptation of a trip to Ratlett the following day. With the two would-be burglars still under lock and key, there was no chance of any information leading back to the man who called himself Alan Mortimer. It was typical of Holmes that he made young Harry do up the controversial book in a neat brown paper parcel with string tied in reef knots. We then took a train to Stanmore and a carriage to Manor Lake Rathit. Paying off the carriage, we walked up the long driveway. Obviously, the land and manor had at one time been a famous property. A vast lake stretched to the west of the house. An attempt had been made to control the foliage, but whoever had made it had fought a losing battle. We were crossing the final lawn when two figures appeared upon another driveway. A man and a woman. Ah, now, who do I see approaching? You have but seen her once. What do you say, Harry? An awful woman who wants to buy my valuable book. Yes, and meet Amelia Johnson, all right. Who's that with her? Yes. I'd make an even guess that his name is Alan Mortimer. Cruddy bloke who organized the burglar. Now, if I'm right, young Harry, you must keep your mouth firmly shut. You are not going to let on about anything that has happened. If you do, you will destroy everything. Understand? But... Now, they've seen us, and they've also recognized us. They cannot refuse to greet us. But whatever I say, you must agree, no matter how much you hate it, you must smile and nod and be a little gentleman. Understand? But I... Right, I agree. Good. Here we are. Now, good morning, Miss Johnson. I hope you'll pardon this intrusion. The fact is that my young friend here has had a change of heart and thinks he would like to talk to your uncle about the purchase of his book. What? Uh, oh, well, I... Uh, I see. I don't know where Uncle is. I think he's inside the house. Good morning, Dr. Watson. Good morning. Good morning, Harry. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Oh, uh, allow me to introduce you. This is my fiancé, Alan Mortimer. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson. How do you do? And Harry. Nice to meet you. Uh, would you excuse us? I think we'd better go on up to the house. I'd like to conclude this transaction as soon as possible. Come, Watson, Harry, this way. Uh, good morning to Miss Johnson. Good morning, Mr. Mortimer. Mm -hmm. Oh, what on earth could have happened? I thought you'd arranged everything, but there was no need to worry. Something must have gone wrong. Those men have bungled it. Well, what do we do now? If Uncle gets that book back, that man, Sherlock Holmes, is quite Look, capable. Look, we shall just have to wait. If Holmes does work things out, it will go very heavily against us. But we shall just have to wait and see, shan't we? Within a few minutes, we were up at the house. An elderly manservant showed us into a large, dilapidated room where, from behind an enormous desk, a thin, distinguished man rose to his feet and made us welcome. He explained his circumstances and how he came to part with the book. As you can tell by looking around you, Mr. Holmes, my family have fallen on rather hard times. We used, in the old days, to be very wealthy. 
My ancestors have lived here for hundreds of years. I am the last of the Johnsons. Yes, naturally, I wish to end my days here. The thought of giving up the place at my age is repugnant to me. So I have been forced to sell my possessions in order to live. Amongst the things I got rid of is the family silver and many rare books. I sent a whole lot to Nesbitt and son. Amongst them was the Crossgrove. I fail to see why you wish to return it. I don't. But there's a riddle attached to this book, Mr. Johnson. And I think with your help, I can solve that riddle. And perhaps in doing so, I'll be able to help you overcome some of your more pressing problems. Riddle? What sort of riddle? I don't understand. Open up the book, Harry. Very well, sir. Now, to start with, I want to know who was the original owner of this book, his background, the sort of man he was. Well, that's easily answered. It was my great-grandfather, old Peter. He returned for many years sailing the world and did a lot of rebuilding to this manor. He created the lake, set out the gardens. <laughs> he was an eccentric, an amiable adventurer. Ah, so he landscaped the grounds. Harry, turn to the center spread pages of the book. Those are the two pages that show the south of England and the Isle of Wight. There are lovely monsters and even a whale blowing water spout. Look, lots of pirates and galleons. It's a bit messy, though. Someone seems to have written in the margins. Can't read it very well. What's it mean, Mr. Holmes? An examination of the writing through a magnifying glass. Ah, is T-R-E-S-O-R-T-R-O-U-V-E. Tresor Trouvé. Treasure found, or as we say, treasure trove. Yes, and it's on the island marked with a cross, very near to that water spout. A treasure? On the Isle of Wight? <laughs> I think not. Let's come to the window. You see the French windows open out with a view across the lake. Now, do you see anything unusual about it? Oh, best of I can. Uh, well, it looks a bit overgrown. That's if you forgive the observation, Mr. Johnson. Oh, I agree, but... Personally, I've never liked that lake. It seems so oddly designed. No symmetry, just everything thrown together. Look more closely at the small island towards the far end. I think if we had a bird's eye view of its shape, we would be reminded of something. Now, does it mean anything? Well, I... I must confess I don't know what you're getting at. Well, what about you, Harry? Come along, you're a bright boy. What does it remind you of? Well, funny. I've got it! It's the same shape as a map. The Isle of Wight, like in the book. Ah, exactly. But I don't understand you. You mean that old Peter landscaped that lake and island to, to resemble this map? That's it. Now, wait a moment. There must have been a reason. What's the, the treasure trove? You think that there's some sort of treasure hidden on that island out there? Well, one can but assume that old Peter worked all this out for that reason. It explains why this book is so valuable. I presume that you have a boat that can get us across to the island, Mr. Johnson. Well, there's an old rowing boat moored down there. Oh, I haven't been across to the island for months. Oh, Giles, my manservant, will know if it can still be you. Good, then I suggest a trip to the island and a little exploring, don't you? Wow! Buried treasure! The boys at school are never going to believe this. Come on! Oh, I don't understand. There isn't any water spot, Mr. Holmes. So how can we know where to look? Uh, what's that half hidden in the reeds and bushes? Looks like a sort of fountain. Hey, a water spot! Pull up alongside it, Watson. Right, Herb. 
There. Right. Now, you have a spade, Mr. Johnson. Right. Let's get ashore and start to dig around that fountain. I think but a few paces the other side is the nearest we can attempt. Uh, ready? Yes, 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 I'm ready. Uh, there's something here. It's metal. Joe, look. There's a small metal box. Now, uh, come on, give me a hand. Uh, smooth away the earth, Harry. Right. Right, open it. Yes, it doesn't appear to be locked. If it is private open, Watson. Right. Uh. <gasps> oh. Oh. Just look at that. What a sight met our eyes when the small metal box was open. Even though the sovereigns it contained had been buried in the moist earth for all those years, they appeared almost newly minted. They were genuine enough. The look of sheer amazement on Robert Johnson's face was only matched by the wonder of young Harry. I really believe that at that moment, all this young boy's dreams came true. It was simply a fairy tale for him. Back at the house, Robert Johnson couldn't contain his delight. But Holmes, unperturbed, had to curb his enthusiasm. I'm afraid we now have to come to the unpleasant part of the whole adventure, Mr. Johnson. I have to tell you that your niece is not the timid, loyal creature you taught her to be. She found some missing pages to the book by White Cosgrove. On those pages must have been the information that elsewhere in the book was the clue to all this money. Perhaps it said, look at the centre pages, something like that. Anyway, she didn't tell you. She went to Alan Mortimer, the man she wishes to marry. She and he made a plan to get hold of the book, seek out where old Peter had buried his fortune and claim it for themselves. They would have tricked you out of this money. I think when you confront them with this treachery, they will be unable to deny it. If they do, well, I have proof. Witnesses now under lock and key. Get rid of both of them and enjoy your old age, Mr. Johnson. Well, I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Holmes. Surely there must be some way, some reward. Holmes refused the reward. But young Harry Hudson went back to London with ten shiny sovereigns in his pocket. The happiest lad in the whole world. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.